Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity just to gather and, and to fellowship. Lord, I ask that um, that you may use me, um, despite my shortcomings and, and sin, that you can still use me to bless my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you uh, open our ears and our, and our eyes and our hearts uh, to your word and to your teaching. Uh, I also pray that you just give us the energy to stay awake um, at the end of the day, uh, especially, especially at the end of the week, Lord, and we can be tired. So I ask that you help us stay awake and um, just be energized for, for your word and your teaching. I pray that you uh, humble us as we go through the study, that there's no um, sense of pride in being knowledgeable or also not wanting to admit that we don't know as much as we want to. Uh, I pray that you help us uh, just be transparent with one another and help us see each other as actual family. Uh, actually, more than that, more than blood family, but we're we're united in Christ, and we know that it's all because of Him that we're able to speak about Him in this way. So, Lord, I ask that you prepare us for what's to come, and above all, we want your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, so um, we're, if you guys haven't been here the last few times, we're going to take a break, a break from Colossians, and especially because Paul is going to go into apologetics, in a sense, in Colossians 2. So uh, we thought it would be a good idea to kind of transition to apologetics for a few weeks. Does anyone know what apologetics is? Or, or, yeah, to defend the faith. Yep. Have you guys heard any other definitions about apologetics or any assumptions that you probably had before? Um, people uh, that say, uh, say sorry. <laughs> Apologize, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, but does anyone know the, the, the verse or passage that we usually go to to prove that we have to do apologetics? Oh, the, uh, every, every that that's one of them. Yeah, that's what, that, 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 is, that is one of them. Huh? That's another one, too. <laughs> but there's one main one. What, 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 what we, yeah, First Peter yeah, 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make defense, to uh, make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yeah, with gentleness and reverence. Okay, so that word defense you see on there in the Greek is um, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. I, I, I heard apologia, apologia, whatever. It's like what John says, saw Greek to me, so it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. But it means a verbal defense, speech and defense, a reason, statement, argument. So, um, so apologetics is just basically defending the faith uh, through words, pretty much. Okay, so we're not going to defend the faith through our with our fist. Um, some religions practice that, but we actually defend it with words. Okay, uh, we 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 must be persuasive and reasonable when we go out and evangelize, and um, and someone were to question your faith, you have to give an answer for that. And 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 we're gonna actually we're gonna actually next time next time uh, we, we do this lesson um, or the second part of this lesson, we're actually gonna dive in a little bit more to what what Peter's trying to say in this passage. But but for now, which is gonna be a basic introduction to apologetics. Okay. The question is now, are you an apologist, or should you be one at least? Now, I love this quote by John Calvin. Um, it's kind of cut off a little bit, but it says, A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. All right, so those are pretty some. In other words, if you don't defend the faith when someone attacks God's truth, you're going to, he's saying you're a coward pretty much. When someone speaks badly of my wife, 
I'm not going to say, well, that's just your opinion, you know, we can still get along, you know, I'm actually going to defend her, right, and I hope, and I know she'll do the same for me, um, same thing with you guys, you know, if, if I hear a false, if someone says, if someone says a lie about you guys, and I know it's a lie, what kind of friend would I be if I just let them, eh, whatever, uh, it's just your opinion, you know, we can still hang out and, and be cool. So, so, uh, Calvin says, and I agree with him, that we're, we're cowards if we don't defend the faith. And at times I think it's okay to admit that. At times it is intimidating. It is. And I think there's a reason why, before, uh, I'm actually going to go over it in a bit, but before this, uh, he talks about intimidation and slander. And so, but we'll go over that later on. So, I thought it was going to be there, but it wasn't. Alright, so, um, with that being said, uh, can we learn uh, how to defend the faith from the Bible? And, uh, and obviously the answer is yes. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the answer is yes. We can learn from God's word how to defend the faith. So it's not like God's word tells you to do something and doesn't tell you how to do it. The Bible does explain and teach you how to defend the faith. Can there be any consequences in doing something that the Bible commands without the direction of God's word? Can there be a consequence of doing apologetics without the direction of God's word? But, but the answer is yes, though, right? Yeah, there, there could be consequence. Uh, so, just to give you an, an analogy of, um, of this, if you were asked to play defense on a football team, would you know the rules, plays, or the game well enough to play defense well? Or effectively. So here, who here doesn't watch football? Would you guys be able to play football defense effectively without knowing the rules, without knowing the plays, without and not only that, but without conditioning, right? Um, the answer would be no. Um, so here's a little video I want to show you guys. It's, it's short. Can you guys see that? I guess I hear it too, so. So you don't, you don't be that guy in apologetics, okay? You want to know what you're doing, okay? Um, and, and I'll explain why, how this relates in, in just a bit. But here's one more video, okay? And here's, a di here's another way. So you could be well-equipped and knowledgeable, but you don't want to be this guy either. How's my son? He's going to be all right. Oh, oh thank God. Finally, some good news. There's no other way to take that. That's a great attitude. i got to tell you, if I was giving this news, I don't know that I'd take it this well. You said he was all right. Yes, 
Yes, he's lost his left hand, so he's going to be all right. <laughs> Right, so you don't want to be that guy either, right? Uh, so there's going to be um, so there's going to be times where, and the way how I relate that is this way, okay? When we talk about God's wrath, we shouldn't have a smile on our face, like you're going to hell. You know, we should actually, you know, in many cases we actually mourn with them and and, and persuade, and we should actually show that desire, the expression that we want them to be saved, right? Or when we talk about God's love, we have the serious face, that Paul Washer face, you know, very serious. We we don't want to be that way either. Um, so there 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 are effective ways, and the Bible does talk about these things. Um, which we'll go over in just a bit. Um, this next, oh yeah, here, there's one more. Sorry. I'll just read this to you guys really quick, right? Get um, right in front of me. Okay. So you need heart surgery. You would like the most qualified and experienced heart surgeon your state has to offer. You ask, is it okay for me to meet the doctor who will operate on me? I would feel a lot more comfortable if I can meet him or her before the procedure. The nurse replies, sure, give me one month, uh, give me a minute. A few minutes pass by, and you finally meet the one who will operate on you. You ask, are you the heart surgeon? Yes, he replies. You immediately ask, how much experience do you have, and where did you go to school? He smiles and says, why do I need school and experience? I have passion for this stuff. I'm super excited and fired up. Let's do this. Yeah. So, so, so in other words, there's a lot of churches out there that say, if, as long as you have that desire to preach, go for it. Just, who cares if you don't know anything at all? Just go. And usually this happens with new believers, right? We become, we, we get saved, we don't really know much, and yet we just want to go and tell everyone about it. But, but there's, no, there's no emphasis in trying to learn what, what truth is. One embarrassing example that I have for myself, I'll just tell you this. Um, for some reason, I believe in reincarnation when I first became a Christian. It's something that just carried on, you know? And one day, my friend asked me, Hey, Arturo, so you think God, he judges if you're going to have a good life afterwards based off your, your previous life? And I was like, yeah, I think he does. You know, and then uh, and I I I, I was conf- confirming what he was saying, and uh, once I learned it was false, I actually went to his house and I brought my friends with me too, <laughs> and we talked to him about the gospel. And I tell him I was like, dude, if you if you don't remember that conversation, good, but if you do, just ignore it. I, I was I had no idea what I was talking about. Guys, um, one thing that the Bible talks about is about teaching, right? We shouldn't want to teach. We shouldn't be so eager to teach because we have a stronger condemnation, a stricter judgment that awaits us. So it is important to know uh, what to preach and what to teach, and also how to preach it as well. Okay, this is going to be a little bit more serious. It might be a little frustrating for you to watch. It's about ten minutes long. Um, basically, what's going to happen here is that James White is going to commentate on this exchange between a Muslim and a theology expert. If you guys seen this, then at least seen it like three times already. But uh, it's hard to watch. Uh, I guess kind of weird at the end. But this is the reason why it's important to know apologetics. If this doesn't show you the fact that we need to study, show ourselves proved, and be ready to give an answer, watch. Preacher, theologian, is unable to answer some basic questions about Jesus. Please don't be disturbed by what he does at the end. Thank you for watching. Have had a conversation, have we, my friend? No. Okay. And you're very kind of to be filmed, and you're going to give us the message of well, uh, the message of the gospel. And you said you're a born again Christian, is that right? Born again Christian. Born again Christian. Okay, fine. And while we were setting up the camera, you told me your name is Daniel, is that right? Daniel. Uh, you're clearly well knowledgeable. And while we were setting up the camera, you said you're a student of theology. Yes. Okay, so you're a student of religion. 
religious studies and theology, religious studies, studies uh, re religious studies and theology, uh, a theologian, that's brilliant, I think. So we nice to have an expert to talk with for change. Uh, and your name is Daniel, okay? And, uh, yeah, and you preach the message as well of Jesus, of the message of the gospel, you're a preacher? I'm an evangelizer. Evangelizer. Evangelizer means to give dawah, yes. to spread the message. And the question I'd like to ask you is that, uh, Daniel, do you believe Jesus is God, or do you believe Jesus was somebody sent by God? Uh, you're a preacher, you're well knowledgeable, you're a theologian, student of theology, so what is the position of Jesus? Is he God, or did God send him? Um, well, I have to ask you, do you want me to answer that um, theologically? And when I say theologically, do you want me to present um, this evidence from the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Testament or the New Testament? And what I would say to you is this, Daniel. Um, would you like me to present this historically as well? Okay. If I said to you, for example, if I saw somebody and I said to you, is this a man? And, and you, and, uh, no, for example, if you asked me, uh, is this a man standing here or is it something else? And I said to you, would you like, to, would you like me to answer this theologically or from the Quran or from the Hadith or from the old message or the new message or historically? It doesn't make sense. I mean, a man is a man. You know what I mean? Or for example, if I said to you, is it day or night at the moment uh, and you said to me shall I answer it theologically or historically it's you know it's just is it a day or night or is it a man or a woman simple question is he a man or not that's the point it's what is Jesus a man yes Jesus is not a man Jesus is not a man okay Jesus was a man okay. Jesus was a man okay fantastic and but is he God or was he somebody sent by God both. So Jesus is God and he was sent by God as well. So he sent himself. Yes. God sent himself to the earth. Yes. Okay. So Jesus has all the characteristics of Almighty God? Yes. Okay. But in the Bible, Jesus, for example, can we agree about God that God doesn't can we agree that God is almighty, he's all powerful, he's the uh, alpha and the omega, which means the first and the last, there was no one before him, there will be no one after him, he knows everything, he sees everything, and he hears everything. Would you agree that about God? Um, you see, uh, the major debate in the second century, in the patristic period, was the deity of Christ. Now, this period... So you're saying 200 years after Jesus, there was a debate about whether Jesus is God or not? No, um, I'm talking about 100 years off into the second century, it was the discussion about the nature of Christ, because we know Christ to be, when he was on earth, to be human and to be divine. Now, there is many um, evidences of Jesus having a human nature for it says in verse 14 the word became flesh now there are also very complicated sorry sorry for most people this would be too complicated what I'm saying to you yeah, sorry, sorry you have to simplify you see we're not theologians like yourself and we don't know this complex thing but what you're saying is 100 years after Jesus left the earth there was debate whether he was God or not no I'm saying that they were discussing the human nature of Christ and the <laughs> oh. no, 
They were just discussing it. Now, I'm, you can only discuss something if you're not sure. If I said to you, is it day or night, uh, clearly you'd say, yes, it's day. We don't need to have a discussion on it. But 100 years after Jesus left the earth, they were discussing whether Jesus is God or not. That's what you're saying. <laughs> so, it says in Zechariah, 700 BC... There is a 45-minute version of this. Uh, I, I noticed it uh, there. I... I personally would not be able to survive 45 minutes of this. That it, you got to give the Muslims some credit here for a, a certain level of patience. What, 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 what things that I would love to be on the unbelievable radio broadcast with this Muslim. So if someone can come, can I come on Dawah is easy? I'll, I'll meet you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be in London. I'll meet you. And um, won't take 45 minutes. No, well, no. by the prophet Zechariah, it says, this is, this is, I will just read it. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they, then they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him who grieves of the firstborn. Now that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was pierced and he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning and the end, and the beginning and the last. And they who pierced him will see him come down in glory. Jesus. When he's in the Holy Spirit, yeah. he can speak in tongues. Is there, is he? Right? Listen, yes. you can't stay still. Yes. Is that what's happening to him? That's yes. what's happening to him. But it looks like, to most people, it looks like he couldn't answer the questions. No, you didn't allow me to speak. Okay, wait. No, okay, one second. Wait, wait, Daniel, Daniel, one second. Is the Holy Spirit in you now? Yes, sir. Okay. It says in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit is in you, that poison won't affect you. Could you drink some poison? One second, Michael. Michael. No, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel, it looks like Muslims have won. Again. You're a preacher. You're a theologian. You're running away. And even Michael's running away. I'm not. I'm not running away. Okay, you're running away. I'm not. I'm not running away. I'm not. Muslims have. It looks like the Muslims have won. But what? What have you won? It's. It wasn't. It wasn't. He said that's enough. Uh, he said God told him that it's enough because you can't ask the questions. You know, but it looks like you should go away. <coughs> well, there you go, folks. Um, I I only apologize slightly for uh, torturing you with that. But, um, uh, what can I say? Unfortunately, for a lot of Muslims, that's the Christianity that they've seen. And when you're prepared, when you can actually provide answers, correct misapprehensions, um, wow, what a blessing you can be. What a blessing you can be. So, um, sorry, guys. Oh, I, I feel like you know, my. I want to apologize for that I don't because the, the, the example was that I, I think I think it is true a lot of Christians respond in weird ways not not, as, not in tongues but um, in many cases they try to be more complicated than they should because they don't know the answer 
And all the guy had to say was, look, I, I'm, no, I'm no expert, but um, if you just give me like a minute, I could just tell you the gospel, and then you tell me what you have to say, and I'll, I'll walk away. And that, that, that could have been more beneficial than, than what just happened there. I think he was ready to answer questions. You ready? Probably not, right? Um, so these are these are two examples. Uh, these, these are short videos, like three-minute long videos. Uh, this is a long one, but I'm going to show you just a three-minute clip. Um, we'll talk about it more, but this is actually a good one right here. So, uh, I'm still, I guess then by your definition, reasonable just means like, uh, you know, probable guess supported by evidence. Supported by evidence. Um, well, what about the evidence that at any given moment a hurtling asteroid could come and blow us out of the universe, or the evidence that there's cancer and that um, people die on a regular basis from horrible causes? So, not at all that this is a fly in the face to theism proper, but if God is both omnibenevolent and omniscient and omnipotent, why wouldn't he then design the universe purportedly so asteroids wouldn't kill us or so that we wouldn't get cancer and die? Great question. That's one of the hardest questions for me, to tell you the truth. And thank you for raising it. When you read the Bible, you will bump into Genesis chapter 3, which records how created beings, human beings, chose to flip God off, chose to tell God, get out of here, get lost. And because God gave us the gift of being a person, not a machine, because God is a heavenly father, not a heavenly engineer, because he chose to create us as persons with free will, he respects our free will, we tell him to get lost, he takes a step back, and chaos erupts, and cancer, and heart failure, and death come into the picture. That is not God's design. That is not God's intent that we die. But the wages of sin, the result of me flipping God off, is death. Christ comes to bleed and die on a cross to give us the ultimate solution, forgiveness and eternal life. In a heaven where there will be no more cancer, no more heart failure, but eternal life in the presence of God. But you and I are born into an unjust, unfair world, not because God created it that way, but because when we human beings told him to get lost, he respects our request, takes a step back, and chaos erupts. So, uh, it kind of sounds like then that God, this might be too strong a word, but punished us by asteroids, cancer, and tsunamis, and earthquakes? Yes, God does judge at times, but no, the vast majority of chaos in nature is a direct result of God stepping back and chaos erupts. So then you wouldn't attribute things like earthquakes to like geological laws or the, you know, the way physics works and the reasons why these physical occurrences like tsunamis, earthquakes, asteroids happen isn't because of the underlying physical laws of the universe, but because God just decided to kind of flip a coin and let whatever happens, happen? No, I would say there are physical laws, and we better study those physical laws and learn those physical laws. But the whole idea of tsunamis, earthquakes, destroying human life is not the way God created this world to be experienced. It's a result of the earth being cursed and chaos erupting. Although there is order in this universe, there's a tremendous amount of chaos. And I would argue that God did not create that chaos 
God created order, but as a result of us human beings rebelling against him and him stepping back and beginning to vacate the premises of this, chaos erupts. I guess I'm just a little confused as to how, I, I mean, given, granted, like... So, um, because of time, I want to just, just summarize it. He basically says, how can we be punished? We're, we're, we're finite beings. We don't know everything. God's all-knowing and all-loving, so he should be able to say, well, like they're, they're finite beings. You know, I, I, I don't have to punish them. And he ends up just flipping it around and pushing the gospel to him at the end. Um, but but this guy goes he, he goes to campuses and he has random he has uh, students ask him random questions and a lot of times we, we want the we want the atheist that's mad and aggressive so that way we can say oh well you're just mad because you're wrong but a lot of times you come across guys like this like this guy who's actually knowledgeable he probably studies more than his other classmates and is calm and he just, he won't let you get away or squeeze you know so the typical answer that you might give he's gonna try to find like little loopholes inside of them. And um, but this guy this guy this goes on for 20 minutes and he answers every single question and at the end he says thank you he's like well, well thanks for that I appreciate it but he preached the gospel like four different times so that's a good way to do it so was he ready do you think he was ready for the, for questions and and he's obviously Armenian and he believes in free will and stuff but the point is uh, he was definitely ready to preach the gospel right but here's Greg Bonson and this guy this is like the last long video it's only three minutes long um, this is when he when he debated a. Uh, um, Edward Tabash, which was a, um, he was a child of a, uh, his parents were, were in the Holocaust, okay, and he's an atheist, so. Question for Mr. Tabash. Since you probably support the right of abortion, how does the events and death in the concentration camp differ from the unborn child in its mother's womb, i.e., is a child dying in hell in the concentration camp? Well, I didn't think I'd be having to reprise my abortion debate, but here goes in 90 seconds. Okay, first of all, up until the 32nd... And by the way, I, I, want, I want you guys to imagine how you respond to this, okay? How would you respond after he says all this, like about a minute or less? ...week of pregnancy, when abortions are no longer occurring, there is no capacity for consciousness. Consciousness, conscious awareness, can only come about when the cortical neurons in the brain are linked to each other by a system of synapses. And until that is in place, there's no capacity for self-awareness, which means there's no capacity for consciousness, which means there's no capacity for suffering. Also, no one at law is ever required to sustain the existence of another person. If you wake up in a hospital and you're attached to some great scientist, you wouldn't be required to give of your bodily functions to sustain that other's existence. So to require a woman to sustain a pregnancy against her will would be the only time in our legal system where one human being is required to give other bodily functions to sustain the life processes of another. And in this case, that other is not fully developed and is entirely dependent upon the woman and is inside her. And as I said, the latest that abortions occur are at 28 weeks of pregnancy. More than 97% of them are completed by the 20th week of pregnancy. And the significant brain function to sustain an awareness of pain and consciousness doesn't even have possibility until much later on. How would you answer that? Here's how Greg Bonson answers it, like a boss, watch. Could you please keep that down, please? Thank you, Mr. Tabash. Uh, Dr. Bonson, would you please respond to that? Yes. Notice the contradiction, again, in my opponent's reasoning here. 
He tells us that it's all right to execute these developing human beings because, according to him, there's no capacity for consciousness up to a certain point. And yet, earlier in the debate, you heard him say that we only know things based on observation. Now, I'd like to know, on what observational basis does he know what consciousness the developing fetus has or doesn't have, or is even capable of having? Are capabilities something that you observe as well? You see, he just can't decide which worldview he wants to use. As a matter of fact, what you see in the case of the developing fetus is always a matter of degree. There's no question after conception that you have all the biological components here of a human being. The child does not become a human being when it is fully developed in its mental capacities. I can't believe a man who has relatives who were killed under that kind of thinking would now apply it to innocent unborn children. So you see, if you start saying those people that you don't de deem fully developed can now be executed, then we're right back to Hitler and the genocide of people that you think aren't fully developed. Thank you. Please keep that down. I didn't know this was going to turn into a abortion debate. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Um, and he answered it on the spot, too. It was not like he prepared for this. He was on the spot, and he answered it. Now, obviously, these guys are, are well-equipped because they do, they do this quite often, right? Well, he's, he died in, um, in the 90s, but, it, but this was his ministry. It was apologetics. And um, so we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, which is the verse you brought up. To sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks who ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So guys, um, just really quickly, I'm not going to go over the whole thing here. Um, I'm, I'm going to share the first 30 seconds of this. But these are arguments that are are used by atheists. Um, for some reason, atheists are like the loudest ones. They make up a small, a small percentage of, of what's out there, but they're like the loudest ones. And... Part of it because they're taking over universities and education and government. But um, so 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 here's what they call it is is the moral argument uh, why Christianity is evil and if there was a God it wouldn't be a God you want you would want to follow anyway. No, this is uh, yeah this is a debate with William Craig. This is uh, Sam Harris. I know. Nine million children die every year before they reach the age of five. Picture, picture a, a, an Asian tsunami of the sort we saw in 2004 that killed a quarter of a million people. One of those every 10 days, killing children only under five. So it's 24,000 children a day, 1,000 an hour, 17 or so a minute. That means before I can get to the end of this sentence, some few children, very likely, will have died in terror and agony. Think of, think of the parents of these children. Think of the fact that, that most of these men and women believe in God and are praying at this moment for their children to be spared. And their prayers will not be answered. But according to Dr. Craig, this is all part of God's plan. Any God who would allow children by the millions to suffer and die in this way, and their parents to grieve in this way, either can do nothing to help them, or doesn't care to. He is therefore either impotent or evil. 
So that's the basis. That's the basis of the argument. Um, you can't be. You can't be all loving. If he is all loving, then he's not powerful. But if he is all powerful, then he, then he's obviously not all loving. And that's the argument. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing about it is that Craig actually pushes that, but he's I think he's a better debater, communicator, because um, he was obviously like just like toying with Craig the whole time, and Craig wasn't like. Did you, see, did you watch this debate? Did anyone see this no, debate? I just don't like women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so there's that one. Is this an example of a good? No, no, no. I'm gonna explain the, the atheist argument uh, oh. the more. Yeah. So. Um, Another one is, you guys recognize him? I'm not going to play this video, but basically his, his argument is that creationism is not appropriate for children. And, I mean, the arrogance, if you guys want to see this video, look it up on YouTube. I just put, um, just type in that, creationism is not appropriate for children. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll say things like, you know what, okay, if you want to live in your own little world where God created everything in six days and the, world, and the, and the earth is only six million, I mean, uh, sorry, 6,000 years old, then go ahead, be in your little world, but don't do that to your kids. Actually, another guy says that it's child abuse to teach creationism to to kids. Um, but 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 they're very that they're actually that arrogant to say, okay, you believe what you want to believe, but please don't do it to your kids. We need your kids. We need knowledgeable, uh, smart, scientific taxpayers and, and and engineers. And if you teach your kids creationism, then then our society will will, will eventually diminish. You know, because we believe in fairy tales and stuff. Yeah. So there's that. Um, so you guys know who this is? Dan, um, I believe his name was uh, Dan Savage. So um, I'm gonna play this video, guys. He cusses like three times, okay? Um, we're all adults here, so it's okay. But uh, it's, it's gonna get you kind of mad, okay? So just I'm gonna I'm gonna play the whole thing. We'll see. That's three minutes long. We'll just talk about Bible in a second. Uh, people often point out that they can't help you. They can't help with the answer. It says right there in Leviticus, it says right there in Timothy, it says right there in Romans that being gay is We can learn to ignore the bullshit in the Bible about gay people the same way the same way we have learned to ignore the bullshit in the Bible about shellfish about slavery, about dinner, about farming, about menstruation, about virginity, about masturbation. We ignore bullshit in the Bible about all sorts of things. The Bible is a radically pro-slavery document and justified to a Christian slave owner about owning his Christian. Paul talks about how Christians own people. points out that the, that the Bible got the easiest moral question that humanity has ever faced wrong slavery all right i don't want to hear the rest so basically uh the, the irony about this is that he's supposed to go around in schools and, t and teach anti-bullying okay obama actually hired this guy to go to um uh, I, don't, I don't know how they chose the schools but he's supposed to go and, t and teach about anti-bullying uh in general it's supposed to be a general thing but it, yeah he's obviously ha he has one thing in mind yeah so, um, and this is the kind of, and at the end he, he calls the Christians that walked out something and tells them, okay, uh, you can tell them to come in now, I'm, I'm ready to finish being up the Bible. And everyone laughs, it goes crazy, so it's, um, then lastly there's Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins. This video is kind of hard to understand, but he basically says uh, to mock Christians, ridicule them in public, he says, and everyone's just cheering them on, and, and there are older people there too, just cheering them on, 
that, that instead of instead of dealing with Christians and talking to them, just ridicule them. Um, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the, in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So, so we have to do this still, okay? Um, and yet we have to have this confidence that we could destroy any argument that comes up against the, that comes up against the knowledge of God. So, um, so that's about we're more than halfway done, okay? Um, so, so I want to talk about worldviews, okay? A worldview is the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. Greg Bonson has a, a more complex view of that, a definition of, of what a worldview is. We're going to go over that next time when we talk about presuppositional apologetics. Okay, um, but he says a worldview is a network of presuppositions that are not tested by natural science and in terms of which all experience is related and interpreted. Again, we'll, we'll explain that next time. There's a reason why he says it this way, and I agree with him. Um, but, uh, but basically a worldview is this, the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. So how many world religions do you think are there in the world? Just guess. Can you name, uh, everyone, can, can you guys name at least ten? Go ahead. Uh-huh. 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 What else? Okay, what else? One more? Yeah. Huh? Mormonism. Okay. Now, can you guys name another ten? Christianity. Judaism. Okay. It's not really religion, but kind of. Okay. So basically, I mean, th- there are a lot of them, but if there were a lot, we could actually name, you know, if, if there were so many, it would be easy, it would be easy to name, to, to name them all off, but obviously, uh, but, but there is a lot of them, though. There's uh, a recorded, an estimate of uh, about 4,200 world religions, okay? But, but check it out, too. In Christianity alone, how many denominations are there? Too many. <laughs> There is 41,000 denominations. Okay, there's different sects. Even even in those religions, a lot of them break apart, and then they become like their own religion in, in a sense, you know. But even with these denominations, obviously there there are some essentials that we, that we you know, like a Baptist, a Reformed Baptist, a Presbyterian could still unite and be the same body. But there are the, there are different religions that we don't, or there, there are different denominations that we can't fellowship with, right? Mormonism being one of them. Um, you know, witness. I, I mean, there's a there's a well, even in, uh, and actually in, in that number, uh, Roman Catholic is a different category than Christianity. But even 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 in, even in in, in in that religion, uh, there are different sects as well. Um, so so just imagine all those worldviews. Those are a lot of worldviews, right? In Hinduism, there's there's uh, about uh, 33 sorry 330 million gods or goddesses in Hinduism. Okay. 
And then uh, some people try to say that 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 those number that that those gods and goddesses represent the one true god or whatever, but but they still worship these gods, you know. <clears throat> uh, some some religions do not believe in any deity, like Buddhism. They'll they'll say God, but they don't mean God like how we believe in God. Um, theirs is more like pantheism. It's just more of a uh, like you know like everyone's God, we're all God type of thing. Uh, but you can't you can't pray to God and expect a response or anything. Their God is impersonal. Then there's those confused guys that just fuse different religions, like I did when I was younger. I just got a little bit of this, got a little bit of that, and created my own religion. So we're supposed to learn these worldviews. Um, thankfully, we could, they could be summarized in three worldviews, or at least three major categories. It's atheism, pantheism, and monotheism. Um, I know we I know we don't recommend this guy too much, but Norman Geisler he has a good section on his on, on one of his books, and he he pretty much summarizes he categorizes all religions into seven categories, but within those seven categories he came up with this, okay, and um, so instead of learning every religion, like I tried to do that when I was when I first became a Christian, I tried to learn every single religion and it, I just, it was overwhelming. Um, I wish I would have came across this. Because uh, as long as you know these three religions, or I mean these three uh, main categories, atheism, pantheism, and monotheism, I guarantee you could actually knock down any worldview if you know what they believe. Um, like you don't have to know all the all the different gods for Hinduism. Okay, um, uh, if you want to if you want to learn about them, you can. But uh, but as long as you know what what their view of God is, you'll be able to respond. Okay. Um, and, and this will help us out later on. Next next time we meet up, we're actually going to, we're actually going to talk about this and, and how and how we how we could actually um, defend the faith by knowing this. So you're saying that all religions will hold on to one of those three? Um, a lot a lot of them might, might not. Uh, like for example, there's, there's like Mormons. They'll say that they're monotheistic, but they're not. But yeah. all all would fall. Into yeah. One of those three yeah. So uh, if if you're like me, uh, you, you might think <coughs> of, you might think of polytheism. How does polytheism fit into any of that? Well, in pantheism, there's something that's called um, distributed pantheism and collective pantheism. And so, here we this. If, and if polytheism in general is coherent, there is no reason in principle why we should exclude the possibility of a, of a distributed pantheism. So, so that's how it fits under there. Um, if you guys don't know what that means, basically it means this. There are some pantheists who believe that we're all God, right? Some believe that we're all collectively one God, but then some believe that individually, every star, every every speck of dust is considered divine or deity. Or that you will become a god. Yeah, yeah, and, and like Mormonism, yeah, so so there's that. Um, you guys have any questions about that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask questions at the end. So so can we go to Acts 17, Um, and John, you, you, you want to read that for us? Uh, 22 through 34. So Paul standing in the midst of the Aeropagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown 
This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, but he himself gives us gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps build their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and more and have our being, as even for some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being uh, then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day he will judge the world in his righteousness by, man, by a man who he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the midst, but some men joined him and believed, amongst whom also were Dionysus, the Aerotagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Okay, so right there, if you can imagine that, imagine Paul is going up to these like worshippers, these religious people. There's one little, I guess, altar that says to the unknown god, and God embraces that one right there and says, "This is the this is the one true God that you guys are missing out on." Um, and then he and then he actually uses some of their poets. Okay, so right there you you start you start you begin to see like his methods of engaging people, right? Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but one thing I want to talk about is is Paul's worldview. Um, he, he obviously had a worldview that wasn't atheistic, pantheistic, and it was mon- and it was a, it is monotheism, but there's more to it. He talked about Christ. He talked about repentance. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview versus all worldviews. So how many Americans embrace the Christian worldview? According to Barna Research, by the way, I found out that this guy, George Barna, he's been researching churches since like 1980-something, okay, for a long time. And according to his survey, only 9% of Americans are born again. And the way how he describes born again is this. Someone who goes to church regularly, prays regularly, reads the Bible regularly, and, uh, and then he, gives, he, sets them, he gave them, he gave them a, a list of questions to ask uh, or to answer. And, and, and they all end up with the Bible. So out of all Americans, 29% are born again. Of those 9% Americans who claim to be born again, who answered the right questions, only 4% hold to a biblical worldview. Okay. Or 4% of Americans, sorry, hold to a biblical worldview. 54% of adults claim to have some kind of standard for morality, while the rest appeal to emotion or relativism, meaning like whatever you think is good, you, you should do that. That's what's good. Although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, 
our research found that the most that most Americans have little idea how to in, uh, integrate core biblical principles to to form unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. George Barnett. Is that surprising to you guys? Do you, do you think the number would be higher than that? I always thought it was like maybe like 40% of Americans were actually born again, or even 30%, but according to the survey, only 9% are. Um, so what is a Christian worldview? Is there a God? How did the universe begin? Were we created or did we evolve? If there is a God, what does he want? How can we define what is truly good or truly bad? What is our purpose on this earth? If you ask an atheist or a Buddhist or uh, even a Mormon, if, if, you, if you ask them this question, um, that will let you know who has a Christian worldview. Right? Um, only 9% of the Christians answered positively to these questions. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does the Christian have responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in, in all of his teachings? Only 9% said yes to all those. Okay. Of, um, of Americans. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It was a typo. That's, that's me. Oh. Uh, man. I'd have to, I have to find out the population. For the... Yeah, so... Um, but, but you can find it. It's actually uh, George Barna or, 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 or the Barna Research Group. I think I have it right here. Let me see. Yeah, Barna Research Group. Just look them up and, and they'll give you all the stats. Um, so what is a Christian worldview? It's the worldview rooted, built, and established on God's infallible, inerrant, and truthful word, the Bible. Okay, so so that, 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 that's how you know someone has a biblical worldview. So the next one is methodology. And we're almost done, guys. So, so go back to that. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What is it again? Oh, it's the worldview rooted, built, and established on God's infallible, inerrant, and truthful word, the Bible. And um, I, I don't know if I told you guys this before, but uh, um, I, I'll just say it now for the record. I, I made a comment last time. I said that those who hold to a um, old earth uh, most likely are inconsistent with Sola Scriptura and and I take that back. Okay, I've actually did a little more research on that, and I come to find out that 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 a lot of them do have a biblical argument. I don't agree with them, but but they're not how I describe them to be. So I take that back, and I want I want to put that on record too because um, it's ignorance on my part. So so in other words, an older an older an older creationist could actually hold to this too. So um, so methodology. And guys, if you have questions, I'll ask answer them afterwards. So what we're going to go over now, and I'm, I'm going to prep for next week, okay, um, or for next time we meet up, is the five most common um, methods of doing apologetics. Okay, the first one is classical. Classical employs natural theology to establish theism as the correct worldview. So in other words, uh, they use they use the natural world. See, like obviously, obviously, the, obviously, this is a obviously there is design here, so there had to be a creator. Okay. Uh, then there's the evidential. The chief focus is mainly on the uh, sorry. The chief focus is mainly on the legitimacy of accumulating various historical and other inductive arguments for the truth of Christianity. This method heavily depends on the use of various positive evidences and negative critiques of the of, of uh, utilizing 
of both philosophical and historical arguments. Presuppositional, which is the one I hold to, and most of us do, uh, demonstrates that the non-Christian worldview is unintelligible and inconsistent, thereby reduced to absurdity, and demonstrates that the Christian worldview should be the only worldview that makes sense of reality. The uh, cumulative case. Uh, I want to read that. Basically, what that means is this: um, if, if, if you see if you see a bunch of facts everywhere, which worldview best interprets the, those facts? So, um, so Christians can interpret it, and it's very similar to what we we know of already. But and and also, it's not really it's not really an argument, really. It's just more of a it kind of helps these these three. The scientific method would be evidential. Yeah. Like I said, this could actually a lot of these could, could be intermingled. Like, you, like these two uh, are usually mixed together. Like they usually uh, a lot of classical guys will use evidence, yeah. and a lot of evidence guys will use the classical arguments. So um, I, I'm, it's not to say that, that that these stand alone. A lot of them, a lot of times people mix them up. So um, then reformed epistemology, um, which is a little weird to me. It sounds a lot like presuppositionalism. Uh, but basically, it's just it's just to argue it's just to argue that the, that the most reasonable um, outlook on life is that God exists. Okay, and um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> it doesn't go any further than that. Um, but but that could be tally, those two could be pretty common. Um, so so here's the difference between these things. Uh, hey, real quick. Yeah. Um, that would be pretty much performed epistemology be Cartesian, right? No, no, Cartesian will actually be pre- oh, presuppositional. Okay. Yeah. Um, Who would fall into reform epistemology? Uh, 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 Pantiga. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and and we'll go over it next time. I'm actually gonna go. I'm actually just speeding through it now because of time. Uh, but um, but we're gonna go over these three uh, next time we meet up in depth. And and I won't have as many slides. It's gonna be mainly me showing you guys how to actually use those methods. Um. So uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, he, 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 he makes a distinction between classical and evidential. Classical gives overwhelming evidence for the existence of God and the reliability of Scripture. Evidential gives high probability of Christianity. Um, I'll let you guys decide which one seems to be more, or at least uh, which one is more consistent with the Bible. Um, but high probability is a, huge, is a huge phrase when they talk about that. So in other words, you can't really know for certain that God exists, but you, got, but you could have a high probability. Um, yeah, it's like it's, it's like rain outside and walk in. So, um, so presuppositional apologetics. Uh, I, I had to come up with some kind of definition that, that accounts for Clarkians and Ventilians, and and I asked both of them if they agree with this, and they they agree. So the presuppositional apologetic uh, method demonstrates that one. It first demonstrates that the non-Christian worldview is unintelligible and inconsistent. Two, thereby it's reduced to absurdity. And three, and demonstrates the Christian worldview to be the only worldview to make sense of reality. Okay, does that make sense to everyone? Some might ask, how is this an argument? Well, it shows the unbeliever that the axioms of secular systems result in self-contradiction. An axiom is a starting point of how you, of how you learn anything. We start with something. And it also points out the internal inconsistency. Oh, sorry, it points out the, the internal consistency of the Christian uh, worldview or system. They both were, they say the same thing. Uh, they could also demonstrate that God is self-evident due to the impossibility of the contrary, 
and by reducing the non-Christian worldview to absurdity. Um, and, and this is usually used by logic, morality, and truth. Okay? Including mathematics and science as well. So that's going to be for next time. There was a lot of slides. There's about 35 slides on here and some videos. But next time, I probably won't even use this anymore. I'm actually going to show you guys how to actually apply um, presuppositional apologetics. Then Bobby's going to actually give a, a lesson on, on the reliability of, of the Bible. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's going to be for next time. Um, do you guys have any questions?